0: Luke 17, beginning at verse 31. In that day, he who is on the housetop, and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, in that day there will be two men in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding together, the one will be taken and the other left. Two will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? So he said to them, Wherever the body is, there the vultures will be gathered together. Last week I preached on God knowing how to deliver the righteous from evil days. I encouraged us to trust in him that he knows how to preserve us, he knows how to deliver us. And we know that the day is coming when the Son of Man will appear in great glory, as the book of Daniel foretold. The children of God will appear with him. We will all be revealed for who we are. We will be vindicated before the world. We will be delivered from those who have sought our destruction. But first, Jesus tells us, we will also suffer as he suffered. He suffered before he was glorified, and it is his will that we be conformed to his image by also suffering before the resurrection. Glory only comes by way of the cross. Jesus then reminds us of the urgency of the situation by giving us two accounts that are familiar in the history of the patriarchs, the account of Noah and the account of the destruction of Sodom. We spent a little time with Noah last week. Today I'd like to focus on the destruction of Sodom. And we can see what Jesus is saying here. It's the account of what the scripture calls a righteous man. And of course, in reading that account, we scratch our heads and wonder. Um, and yet, we know that God has mercy on the wicked and the foolish. And He had mercy on Lot. He was brutally and truly flawed, but he said the scripture says that his soul was grieved at the great tremendous wickedness that was in Sodom. So he asked the question, "Why didn't he just leave in the very first book in the very first verse of our the account that we read. It says that he was sitting at the gate, which means that he was a ruler in the city. He was one of the judges. He was one of the older ones where people would come for justice. The gate was where there was the city center where people would gather to govern the city. So he had his life there. He had his significance there. His family was there. His friends were there. Perhaps they were all settled in. His daughters were married to sons. Perhaps they were awaiting grandchildren. We know his wife enjoyed the life there. But I think actually it goes deeper than that. When you ask the question, why didn't he just leave? It goes to the heart of human nature. Because we tend to be more afraid of what's unknown than that which we know. Israel experienced this when they were in the wilderness. They're finally free from the slavery of Egypt where God delivered them with a powerful hand. But as soon as the future was blocked, as soon as they didn't know what tomorrow would bring, they longed for the slavery that they knew something about. Yeah, they were in bondage. Yeah, they were getting beat up. Yeah, their kids were being killed. Yeah, they didn't have much to eat. Yeah, they were dying. But they knew where to go for water. They knew where the leeks and the onions were. They knew that life, even though they hated it. It was far less scary than the unknown of trusting God. And so Sodom. Why didn't Lot leave? Well, he was a timid man. You can read that. He was afraid of what would happen in the mountains. I'll just die if I'm in the mountains. Where am I supposed to go? What am I going to do for a living? Where am I going to work? The fact is, as human beings, we all struggle with change. Change takes things out of our control. But the scripture teaches that our sanctification, our progress... The Christian life being conformed to the image of God's Son is a process of change. In fact, the scripture is bold enough to say that without holiness, we will not see the Lord. Therefore, we are to pursue it. But this absolutely means that we must change. God is purifying and delivering us from the bondage of sin and misery. But we so often resist because we hate the idea of the unknown, of change, of being different than we were. The scripture teaches us, for instance, that perhaps a long-held idea that we've had our whole lives is wrong or not biblical. That strikes at the very heart of who we think we are as persons, and we resist it and fight against it. But we were created and redeemed to become more and more like Jesus every day. Dressed in his beauty, cleansed with his blood, becoming more and more like him. Which means, according to the Heidelberg Catechism, we will spend our whole lives putting to death the old man and making alive the new. And if you think that's an easy process, then you don't understand it yet. Putting to death the old man, putting to death all the ideas that we thought of our own wisdom, our own goodness our own good ideas, our own tribe. We know that the Holy Spirit is making us beautiful, but that means we have to shed our filthy garments, and that's terrifying. We resist because it's really scary to think that maybe an idea that we cherish is actually contrary to Scripture. We resist because it's scary to live in an unknown world where everything is dark. It's easier to stay in Sodom than it is to risk the mountains, than it is to follow as Abraham did, to follow God with no idea where you're going. But I want you to notice what he says in verse 16. While he lingered, while Lot lingered, pondering through all of these questions, the men, the angels, took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful to them. And they brought him out and set him outside the city. The angels warned him that destruction was only minutes away. And Lot's divided. This is hard. This is tough. Leave everything behind. These are my people. Maybe just give me a minute to walk through my house and and make sure I have everything. Make sure I got my wallet. Make sure I've got the keys. Make sure everything. Maybe give me one more chance to convince my sons-in-laws. Maybe try to get my wife on board. Maybe try to sort out what I'm going to do for a living and find my passport and just give me a minute to think. But there is no minute to think. The angels are saying now, 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 now. The tension builds, the angels are getting more anxious, Lot is getting more disturbed, and then suddenly they grab his hand and drag him out of the city. From Lot's perspective, that's not very nice. They interfered with his free will. I was sorting this out. What am I supposed to do now? But see, God already had this debate with Abraham, God had this debate in the councils of the Trinity. He discussed all of this thoroughly. And Lot didn't know anything about that. The angels dragged Lot out because God had compassion on him. And Lot didn't see that at all, did he? At the moment, it seems like God was being pretty harsh. But Lot didn't know about the exchange with Abraham. It would have been quite simple for Lot, and very human, for him to doubt the goodness and the love of God. Lot is now being dragged out of his comfort zone, out of everything that he knows. He has no idea where he will go, how he will survive, what he will do, what he will eat. And we as human beings say to ourselves, well, maybe he should have thought that through. That's what he was trying to do when the angels began dragging him out. And why? Why? Because God knows how to deliver the righteous. Jesus reminds us of this account when he talks about the suddenness of God's deliverance. When salvation comes, the wicked world will be living like they always lived. Going to the polls, dancing, eating, drinking, feasting, working, dancing, enjoying the music, planting trees, But God is in the process of dragging his children out of the city. And it hurts. Lot's wife fought back. Refused to be delivered. Change was too much for her. She didn't know where she was going. She didn't know whether God would be good, whether it would be worth it to be free from Sodom. So in verse 31... Jesus repeats what he record, what, what's recorded in Matthew and Mark. In the context of Matthew and Mark, verse 31, about the, uh, he who is was on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come back into the house. That's in the context of the destruction of Jerusalem. Here it's in the context of the second coming of the Son of God. Well, the fact is it's throughout all of history. This is true throughout all of history. Every time God comes to deliver, He is in the process of sanctifying His people. We get glimpses of the second coming when He delivers His church today, but it's still painful. We're living in the already, but not yet, as I said last week. But the doctrine is the same. And here's the summary of what Jesus is saying If you want to live, you have to leave everything behind. He illustrates the point with Lot's wife. She loved the things of the world. She loved her home in Sodom. She loved her friends. She loved her things. She loved her reputation. She loved her security. She had a future. She had a place to go. She had, it wasn't that she just happened to look back to see what was going on. It's that she dragged back is that she chose in her heart the things of the world rather than the deliverance of God. We mourn loss, that's only human. That's not what's being condemned here. It's not because Lot's wife mourned the loss of her friends. The idea is this. The day is coming when all wickedness and everything on this earth that we put so much hope in, will be burned with fervent heat and destroyed. The scripture then tells us what will then happen to all of your opinions, your tribe, your loves, your hatreds, your worldviews, your favorite foods, all the things that you gather around yourself. All will be consumed in fire. But as the disciples of Christ, remember that God knows his own and he knows how to deliver. The scripture says we're taken and we will meet him in the air. And when that happens, this world and all of its glory will fade to nothing in our eyes. And we will wonder why we put so much of our contentment and our trust in the things of this world. When the tremendous treasure awaits us outside of Sodom. For God knows how to save. He knows the longings of our hearts. He knows what we are seeking. He knows how to satisfy that thirst. And the fact is, we have to get out of Sodom, out of this world. I'm not talking about entering into a monastery, I'm talking about where your love is. There will come a time in every believer's life. I know so many of them already where you are forced to make a choice. Do you hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the free preaching of the gospel even though you may lose everything? Or do you fudge just a little bit so you can hang on to your home, your job, your church, your society, your tribe? This is what Jesus is saying. we have to get out of this world with its cares and its toils and all of its corruptions we have to leave it behind and frequently God because he's compassionate on us will drag us out by the hand because of his compassion because the devil goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour his tricks are always the same God doesn't know where you're going he's not going to reward you Look at you. You're going to lose everything if you do this. And then God will turn his back. You'll be lost in the mountains. You won't have anywhere to go. Lot, you aren't going anywhere special. He's just dragging you out to the cave to kill you. He just led you out in Egypt so you'd die of thirst in the desert. You'd rather have your bodies in the desert than in Egypt. Mrs. Lot, look at everything you've had to give up. It's not going to be worth it. God's not going to make it up to you. Israel, Moses brought you out to die. Head back to Egypt. At least you know where the water was there. Jesus, command these stones be made bread. Worship me and I'll give you everything you seek without a cross. The test is always the same. Don't go out from them. God doesn't know what he's doing. Stay behind. You're safe here. Yeah, it's really unhappy and really miserable, You can't stand it and you're in bondage to sin and misery, but at least you know what your sin and misery is and you're safe. As human beings, we're terrified of being free and at the same time hate being in bondage. thinking way back in the 90s there was a simpsons cartoon that stuck in my head where homer simpson is stuck in a vending machine and they call the fireman he's got his arm stuck way up into a candy vending machine they call the fireman they call everybody they spend all day trying to get him out and finally at the very end of the episode somebody says homer are you still holding on to the candy yes and then he drops the candy and his arm comes right out brilliant analogy of human nature We hold on so tightly to everything that we think is going to give us contentment and peace and hope and joy that we resist the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus is saying. You hold on to all these things that hold us into bondage. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. You'll lose it all. I read something the other day about it isn't A common love that holds groups of people together, it's common hate. That's very interesting when you think about it. We're going to all join ourselves together because we hate those people. And if you step out and you decide you're going to love your neighbors yourself, even those people, you will be run out of the tribe because those are the wrong sorts of people. Jesus faced it. The church has faced it in every age. but if we're too afraid to risk any change if we're too afraid to change an idea to bring it in line with scripture if we're too afraid to love whom god says we are to love if you're too content with the things of the world remember lot's wife the ancient jews were terrified of any change at all salvation was grounded in tradition and that tradition was never to be broken And Stephen, the first deacon, prophesied against him just before he was stoned. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers. Those ancient Jews, they were the orthodox ones, they were the conservative ones, they were the ones that were right on every issue. But every call to repent, every call to turn around, every call to change their minds, every call to think different thoughts, every call to put their trust in Christ because they were sinners before God was met with hatred, anger, because they were terrified, Of change. They were terrified of loving and accepting the wrong sorts of people. Those are Gentiles. Those are sinners. Those are tax collectors. They were miserable, but they were familiar with it. It's better than this wilderness, it's better than this ridiculous manna and lack of water. But God called them stiff necked. And just like he did with Lot's wife, he dragged them out of their filth over and over again, and they continued to look back longingly to the good old days of Sodom. Lot's wife looked back and was overtaken by God's judgment. One more thing on this text. This is interesting. It says in chapter 17, toward the end, and that night there will be two in one bed, one will be taken and the other left, and so on. And, of course, there's been a lot of uh, fantasy written about this, uh, the Left Behind series and so forth. Um, I won't spend any time on that. Uh, but just to talk about this, it's interesting. Who is he talking about? Who is the one being taken and who is the one left behind? Um, it's interesting. I have many, many, many different commentaries. And two particular commentaries that I have, both of them come from a, a Reformed eschatological viewpoint. They're not dispensational. They're not fantastic. They both come thoroughly reformed, thoroughly confessional, thoroughly covenantal, and both of them believe the second coming of Christ. They don't believe in an open rapture and and so forth. One says that it's clear from 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Listen to the 1 Thessalonians 4.17. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. One says it's clear from that text that the ones who are taken are the believers and the ones left behind are the unbelievers. The other one, from the exact same perspective, says it's very clear from 1 Thessalonians 4.17, the exact same verse, that it's the unbelievers who are taken and the believers who are left behind. Because what does it mean? Those who are alive and remain will be taken up into the air. So in other words, to sort all of this out, I have no idea. The scripture is ambiguous and it doesn't tell us. The main point is this. God knows the difference between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. He knows the difference between his people and the wicked. He knows the difference between the sheep and the goats. He will separate. He will divide the sheep from the goats and the wheat from the chaff. In John's parable, the wheat is gathered into the barn and then the chaff is blown away. In Jesus' parable, the tares are gathered first and then the wheat is gathered into the barn. God has left us a mystery so that we will trust him and believe the main thing is that God will separate the wheat and the chaff. And it will come in a moment. Safety will not be found by proximity. We're not going to be safe because we're hanging around the right sort of people. Nor will we be unsafe if we happen to be hanging around the wrong sort of people. God knows how to make a distinction. There's only one thing that will make us safe. And this is what I want you to focus on. Only one thing. The scripture says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That was from the prophet Joel talking about the coming judgment of God. He said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul repeats it in Romans chapter 10. When he says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's his interpretation of Joel. And he says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, that is the Lord Jesus. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The great name, Hashem in the Hebrew. The name above every name. Jesus Christ. Exalted above the heavens. He is the Lord and there is no other. He's the one that says, whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. Because all of us are dead in our sins. We are all separated from God in our decaying corpses. And what happens when corpses decay? The vultures come. God's judgment is coming on the dead and the dying. And that's all of us. Dead in trespasses and sins. Unless... We call on the name of the Lord. We must be born again. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, for there is life and there is hope. And so forget everything else for just a moment. Forget all of your accomplishments, your opinions, your pedigree, your work, your organizations, your memberships, your goals, your tribes, your dreams, your loves, your hatreds, all of that stuff that's of this world. There's only one thing in front of you right now. Call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. And when you do, you'll learn how to rest. The older I get, the more I realize that the heart of the Christian life is rest. Everything else flows from there. In resting, we learn how to love. In resting, we learn how to not fear the ungodly. Even if you mourn the damage that they leave behind. In resting, we learn not to be afraid. And when we learn not to be afraid, we learn compassion. For nothing will take us from the hands of God. Don't fear that you missed the notification about the kingdom because when he comes, we'll all know. And he doesn't lie, so whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And don't fear change because the scripture says without change no one will see the Lord. Actually it goes like this, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So let me ask you now, are you holy now? Then the fact is you're going to have to change. And that's the Spirit of God working in you and dragging you out of Sodom. And that's a beautiful thing. In other words, pursue Christ who is our holiness. He's given freely to us. Don't resist the Holy Spirit. He's leading us out of bondage and sin, conforming us to the likeness of Christ. Remember Lot's wife. And then be patient with yourself. Be patient with others. Wait for the Lord's time. And remember and hold on to this promise because it's the heart of growing in holiness. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, what a difficult thing it is to wait, to rest, to be at peace, to leave behind all of our cares and worries and turmoils and strife and difficulties and the things of this world that we hold so dearly that it causes us to lash out in hatred and envy and strife against our neighbor. Forgive us, Lord. Teach us to put aside that fear so that we can truly love one another and truly learn how to rest. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.